evening, everyone. I have the honor and privilege tonight to bring you guys the Word of God through His Word in the Bible. Um, tonight we'll be reading two passages, uh, Proverbs 9 and a passage from Matthew 7. But first, I am going to pray. So if you guys want to bow your heads and say amen at the end if you agree. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for making yourself known to us showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we might be ready to serve you to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all those who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults, but whoever rebukes the wicked incurs whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. But do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will, be, will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by and who go straight on their way. Let all those who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious, but listen, do they know that the dead are there, that their guests are deep in the realm of the dead? Our second passage is from Matthew 7, from verse 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes down, came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the, that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not their teachers of the law. All right, hello again. Uh, good to see you here. We do have an outline. It's not the greatest outline, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. Uh, so you can follow along if you can on that one. And yes, Proverbs 9, what a great chapter. 
I love this. I love this chapter. Partly, it's the. Uh, how about we go with the image that at the moment, just the, the the main one. This chapter really is what influenced this image, uh, because in this chapter we have this beautiful feast at the beginning of the chapter, uh, and, and and we're all invited to join this kind of feast in chapter nine. Uh, but I want to start by telling you about uh, Luca, my eldest child. Uh, when he was a baby, we were going to church in Kellyville, the Mighty Hills District. Yes. Um, Kellyville was great, but it was a long distance from Newtown, which is where we were living. So, you know, think 40 minutes driving. And that long distance driving was at times, well, I'd say quite hard. Uh, You might know some babies love being in cars, and some babies scream like creatures from Stranger Things. (laughs) Well, let's just say as we drove to Kellyville, we were often in an episode of the Stranger Things. And so at times... Like in uh, season four of Stranger Things, we tried to play songs to soothe our, our demon baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, but one song we played, one song we played a lot was called On Jordan's Stormy Banks. Uh, beautiful, beautiful Christian song. Uh, look it up later, On Jordan's Stormy Banks. And it's a song that is looking towards being with God in heaven, to go into the promised land. And that's really the repeated line in the song. I'm bound, I'm bound, I'm bound for the promised land. Uh, And it was a great song to play in the hardships of parenting because it reminded me that while life at times can be stormy, I was bound for the promised land. I was bound to be with God in heaven in a place that was fair and happy. It reminded me that life was a journey with a sure destination. Uh, Evening church, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then your eternal GPS is locked in. You are bound for the promised land. The thing is, Uh, We are not there yet. Before us lies a journey, and there will be many storms and and trials that may cause us to stumble. Many distractions, wealth and worries will tempt us to give up. Many lies will whispered, or actually even shouted in our ears, to steer us off path. So what do we need to guide us on our way towards the promised land? Wisdom. I reckon we need the book of Proverbs, which is why I'm so glad that we're reading it together. And we really do need Proverbs chapter 9. It's a chapter that outlines, it says a lot, but what we're going to focus on tonight, it outlines what we need as we journey to the promised land. It's a chapter that outlines what we need to live a truly wise life that reflects God's amazing love and faithfulness. So the first thing I'm going to pull out for us tonight is that Proverbs 9 teaches us on our journey to the promised land, we need right desires. Uh, one of my favourite memories is the day that I got my driver's licence, my red peas. After a year or so of always having my parents in the seat next to me, uh, teaching me how to drive, in what felt like a very sudden moment, uh, suddenly I was free. I reversed down my long driveway uh, and with no one telling me what to do. Uh, and I was more independent than ever. I was able to go where I wanted, when I wanted, with the music as loud as I wanted. And I think that's the same sort of situation that the son in Proverbs finds himself in. Uh, You might remember from our first talk that Proverbs is a father teaching his son. The son is about to get his driver's license, but it's not to drive a car, it's to drive life. Uh, And in this light, the father, King Solomon, seeks to prepare his son for life ahead as he's about to take the steering wheel. Now, just think for a moment, if you were a dad or a mother uh, talking to a son just as they're about to kind of become more independent, what would be your top talking points? What would be the top things that you'd want to talk about with your son? Well, if you flick through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, 
you get to see Solomon's top talking points. Unlike the remainder of Proverbs from chapter 10 onwards, the first nine chapters are like lectures from the father to the son. And one lesson that really stands out if you kind of were to read all those uh, nine chapters right now, it could be summarized quite crudely. This is what the father is teaching the son, uh, only in some instances, avoid easy sex. It says it over and over again in different sorts of ways. Avoid sex with no strings attached. Avoid sex with anyone who's not your spouse. Avoid sex that does not reflect the love and faithfulness of God. Uh, and if you want to get an idea of this sort of teaching, you could grab your paper Bible if you have one. You can just flick back. Uh, our modern editors have added some chapter headings. In chapter 5, warning against adultery. In chapter 6, about halfway through, warning against adultery. In chapter 7, warning against the adulterous woman. You get the idea. He is kind of laying out towards his son, avoid, avoid easy sex. Uh, and in these chapters, a particular type of woman is described. She's unfaithful to her husband, and she has no faith in the Lord. She's outside God's community, and her motive is to lure men away. She's tempting. Her lips drip with honey. Her words are smooth as oil. She's beautiful, and she's seducing. The father says, be careful. Don't go there. Don't even go near the door of her house. Now, we could unpack a lot of that, but it's a really important like to know this is really important as we arrive at chapter 9 because in chapter 9 as we were reading you might have heard this there were two women in verse 1 to 6 there was woman wisdom and in chapter in verses 13 to 18 there is folly or lady folly up until chapter 9 wisdom has been personified as a woman uh, we uh, the, the reader has been called to cherish her and to embrace her to never forsake her in some ways to marry her you know this is how we've been called to relate to wisdom folly has never been personified. But now, at the very end of the father's lectures to his son, Folly is personified as a woman. And she takes on the attributes of the adulterous woman described in chapters 5 to 7. Now, what's going on here? I think we've been taught something very profound about wisdom. See, I often find myself thinking that wisdom is all about knowledge. You know, if I have enough knowledge, I'll have what I need to be wise. But the father's final pleas to choose wisdom over folly, the image he chooses is two women, not two books. He has used the idea of a path, not two paths, but right now the image he uses is two women, woman wisdom and lady folly. Both these women invite the young man to dine in the intimacy of their own home. Now just play with that image in your head for a moment. A young man in a street been invited into a woman's home. Why did Solomon choose that image? I think it might be to teach that wisdom is not only about knowledge. It's about our desires. It's about what we are attracted to. It's about what we love. I mean, when was the last time you prayed that God would transform your desires? Or maybe even think about the last time you can, you know, you required wisdom. Maybe you were choosing a new job, or you were changing degrees, or you're deciding, you know, should I go to that party or not? Did you pray that God would fit you with right desire? Did you pray that you would desire above all things that you would love, love and faithfulness? See, I reckon that this image of two women is teaching us that part of Gaining wisdom is to have right desires. 
And so, evening church, as we head towards the promised land, let's pray for right desire, to desire love and faithfulness. Okay, second, second, decisive action. Uh, one of my favorite people to dine with is Paul Vazekian. I can't see him. Hey, Paul, wherever you are. Hey, yes, I love eating with this man. Paul has a much better taste of food than I do. He's taken me to restaurants that I never would have gone to. Tetcher's in Roseville, if you need a place to go after evening church, it's great. Uh, but even better is when I've been invited to Paul's family home to have dinner with his extended family. There is so much food. Uh, there is so much flavor. And what makes it special is that everyone is involved in the preparation. There are uncles working the cold barbecue with hair dryers. There are aunties uh, creating amazing salads and desserts in the kitchen. Their meals really are beautiful displays of love and faithfulness. Hard work, lots of time, going to making meals for others, like Fox, the non-Armenian, to enjoy. And I think this kind of meal is the meal you want to picture in verse 1 to 6. Woman Wisdom is there and she invites us to dine with her. And Woman Wisdom, as you could imagine, she embodies wisdom. She works really hard. In verse 1, she has built her house. And this house sounds a bit like a palace. Seven pillars have been set up. Seven pillars, possibly referring to Wisdom's work with God in creating the world. But not only has she built her house, she's prepared a rich meal from her supplies. Verse 2, she's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. And unlike many who withhold their riches or work hard for themselves alone, wisdom works hard to share with others. She calls to people, enjoy my feast. Verse 6, come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. She sends out her servants to invite people to dine with her. The call goes out from the highest place the place of highest authority, and this invite goes out to everyone. Sure, wisdom may live in a palace, her postcode might be exclusive, but her invite is for everyone. It goes out to the town, it goes out to the marketplace, not dissimilar to Jesus Christ, the one who came from the highest place, who walked among the people in the marketplaces and called them to come. Wisdom calls to you, calls to me, calls to everyone. Come, come and dine with me. Enjoy my riches, feast on my food. It's a beautiful picture. The father is enticing the son, appealing to his desires, choose wisdom, choose wisdom. But this feast is not just a nice meal. The invite is, verse 4, for whoever is simple and to those who have no sense. The simple is the one who is easily led astray. They lack prudence. They lack the ability to see danger. The one who lacks sense might sound like a person who just doesn't think well, but a direct translation of the Hebrew is one who lacks heart. So this person lacks right thought and right desires. They cannot see the impact of their actions or their desires on themselves or others. And so wisdom calls to those who are simple and to those who lack sense. Verse 6, leave. Leave your simple ways and live. And once again, I'm reminded of Jesus Christ. He preached, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, leave, leave your old ways and believe the good news. Leave and live. As the father prepares the son, he entices him to choose wisdom, to join the beautiful feast. But he also makes clear to choose wisdom calls for decisive action. Leave. Leave your simple ways. Now change is hard. A lot of things that we do 
that lack love and faithfulness, a lot of the things that we do that are sinful and selfish are deeply embedded in our lives. Some of our, you know, selfish actions have probably become habits, and habits are very hard to break. In our series here uh, on Proverbs, we are going to hear God call us to use our words well, to choose our friends wisely, to love our families, and to work hard for His glory. My guess is, all of us have deeply embedded patterns of how we use our words, how we work, and how we relate to our friends and family. Evening church, change will be difficult. But wisdom and our Lord Jesus cause us to leave. Leave our old, sinful, selfish ways behind. Now I take it that this change will be impossible without the work of God in our hearts, but it also will be near impossible without each other's help. Which takes us to, is it the third thing? The third thing we need. Humble correction. Humble correction. You know, you can say hello to the person next to you for a moment. I'm just going to have a drink. Let's have a little chat. random breaks. I should have given you something to talk about. I apologize. But um, <laughs> imagine, uh, imagine you have been given a presentation at school or at uni or at work or even at church uh, and you've just given this presentation and the time has come to receive feedback. How do you feel? Uh, some feedback is okay to receive you know, positive feedback, yeah, most people like receiving that. Even some negative feedback is kind of okay as well. I mean, if someone comes up to me tonight and says, wow, that mic was too loud, you know, that'd be fine. But if someone comments badly on this jacket, oh, it'd be cut to the heart. Um, no, that's not true. People love this jacket. I've never heard. <laughs> um, oh, going off script. Um, but if someone comes tonight and they get a little more personal... And the feedback was not about my talk, but about my personality, it'd be harder to hear. I'd be tempted to defend myself or even respond to their correction with some of my corrections of my own. And I wonder if that's ever happened to you. Someone has tried to gently question your behavior or your thinking. They've tried to share God's wisdom with you, but rather than listen, you get angry. With that scenario in mind, listen to verse 7 and 8, or you can read it with me. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. A mocker has no time for feedback, no time for correction. They don't have, verse 10, the fear of the Lord. And so I imagine this person is proud, placing themselves above others and being skeptical of others' opinions. Rather than listening to learn, the mocker, uh, you know, and rather than listening to reflect, rather than being slow to speak, they simply listen to judge. And if wisdom corrects them, a mocker's knee-jerk reaction is to scoff. What does wisdom know? And then rather than engaging with the words, they attack the person with insults and abuse. The end result for the mocker in verse 12 is suffering alone. 
Rather than increase, there is decrease. This is the opposite for the wise. For the wise, there is increase. They will be wiser still in verse 9. They will add to their learning. In verse 11, through wisdom, their days will be many. The mocker decreases, suffering alone. The wise increases, rejoicing with plenty. The wise grow. And it seems the key way that this growth happens is through, well, fear of the Lord, but also through humble correction. I've had quite a few conversations at Evening Church over the last year or so about the idea of rebuke and correction. Uh, People want to know, how are are the best ways to have careful and considered conversations? And I love that that question is bubbling away at Evening Church because it shows that you have a desire to change. You're not happy with status quo. You desire for Evening Church to be a family that reflects the love and faithfulness of God. That's brilliant. And in two weeks' time, we will consider how we can use our words to carefully correct each other so that we can reflect God's love and faithfulness. But this week, the call is pretty simple, uh, but hard. God calls us to adopt an attitude, not of a mocker who is quick to speak and fast to anger, but of the wise who love those who correct them. So as we journey to the promised land, let's be ready and praying that we will receive humble correction. Last thing is uh, rejecting folly. I've got to say, as I read uh, verses 13 to 18 this week, I was reminded of the fairy tale Hansel and Gretel. It's not a very nice story. I had to, I read over it. Anyway, it's the story of two children who are left by their parents, seriously, left by their parents in the woods. Uh, They then become lost in the woods and they spend days uh, without food trying to find their way home. Eventually, they come upon a house that's made of bread Uh, with sugar windows and a cake roof. They're overjoyed. They dive in and they eat some of the house. And I imagine it would have been sweet to taste and very satisfying for their hungry tummies. But little did they know, the owner of the house was an evil witch. She built the sweet house to attract children so she could fatten them up and eat them. Oh, quite a horrible story. Um, I won't tell you the rest of it. But in verses 13 to 18... (laughs) We meet another evil character who, like the witch, lures people into her home only for them to die. The character is Folly, or Lady Folly. She lures people away from wisdom and away from the one true God. She shares similarities with woman wisdom. She's also at the highest place of the town. She also invites people in. She even invites young men with the same invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's almost like Lady Folly imitates woman wisdom to trick young men, which means the son, and really all of us, need to be very careful. If the son does not walk, in verse 6, in ways of insight, noticing the slight but important differences, he could easily follow the path leading to his death. The differences between Lady Folly and woman wisdom are very important. Here are some differences. Lady Folly is unruly and loud in verse 13. She doesn't really care to win people over with her wise words or a careful thought. She's more like the woman of chapter 7. You can go read that later. But in chapter 7, the adulterous woman takes hold of a young man in the street and without asking, kisses him and invites him to her bed because her husband is away. This is what Lady Folly is like. Berates people into submission to her way of life and to her thinking with the promise of pleasure. Unlike woman wisdom 
who I imagine was on her feet all day making her own meat and wine and prepping her own table, Lady Folly, sits. She sits at the door. She is the lazy one we'll read of later in Proverbs. And whereas wisdom has prepared a rich meal with meat and mixed wine, all she has to offer is stolen water. Seriously, stolen water? Couldn't she have stolen something a little better? But the fact that it's stolen is what makes this water so sweet. Lady Folly entices the young men, not calling them to leave their sinful ways, but rather to indulge their sinful ways, to give in to their desires for selfishness. One Bible teacher wrote this, there is a sweetness in satisfying our base desire and another sweetness, a special tang in relishing the defiance of authority and having what we know we should not. You know, it kind of reminds me a little of Adam and Eve in the garden. They'd been given everything. A life was laid out for them, before them, that was good and it was full. But that fruit, that stolen fruit, that forbidden fruit, it looked so good to the eye. The thrill of sin was too hard to resist. And so Adam and Eve ate and they chose foolishness over wisdom. And where does this life lead? Well, at first, it's not exactly obvious. For the person who joins the meal with Lady Folly, I imagine maybe the meal could seem pretty good. But like Hansel and Gretel, who were fattened up only to die, this is also true for Lady Folly's guests as well. I imagine if the guests of Lady Folly were to kind of snoop around her house, they would find the remains of old house guests buried under the carpet, uh, dead, because they chose folly over wisdom. And, you know, it's a horrible image, but it's an important image because the father's telling the son, this is where folly will lead. It's a really important word for us. I remember having a chat with one of my good mates. Uh, we were talking about faith in Jesus, and at that time, he wasn't really doing too well. And as he reflected, he said something along the lines of this. It was not that he made one big bad decision, it was the millions of small decisions that seemed so insignificant at the time. Now, that's so often how it is. We make a decision, not thinking too hard about where it could lead. But tonight, we are warned, our foolish decisions, our decisions that leave God out of the picture, they can be deadly. Evening Church, uh, we are on a journey to the promised land. And I've suggested on this journey, uh, some of the things we need are right desires, decisive action, humble correction, and a rejection of folly. But the bigger overarching choice is really simple. It's between wisdom and folly. Two women inviting us to dine with them in their houses. One house will be filled with rich feasting leading to abundant life. One home is filled with stolen water leading to death. As you journey towards the promised land, or as you journey in life in general, maybe you're not, uh, you haven't got your eternal GPS logged in yet, which house will you dine in? Which house will you dine in? With woman wisdom or lady folly? It's not the only time two houses come up in a Bible passage. At the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he also described two houses. One house built on a rock, surviving the heaviest of storms. Another house built on sand, which ended in death and destruction when the storm came. Jesus said, those who hear these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man 
who builds his house on the rock. And so, evening church, your invitation to dine with wisdom is very much an invitation to dine with Jesus. Jesus Christ, the one who fits us with right desire. Jesus Christ, the one who calls us to decisive action. And Jesus Christ, the one who gently but surely urges us to live under his excellent lordship. There is no one better to dine with than Jesus. And so as we travel to the promised land, choose wisdom. Choose Jesus every time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just, yeah, so thankful for the book of Proverbs and the beautiful pictures that it paints. And we pray tonight that you will give us right desires, that desire to love, love and faithfulness before all things. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would choose to dine with wisdom and to dine with your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.